tiredness for, for myself and everyone in the room, that we might hear from you and that I might share your words this morning. I pray for your grace and your mercy on us all, uh, that, that I might speak your word despite myself and that folks here, that you would prepare their hearts to, to have your word planted in them, um, help them to be tended well and grow into something wonderful for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, wow. So I, in our new house, our new old house, we have a uh, front room that we have redone uh, in Barnwood, so it looks kind of cool. My wife did all the work on that. I did nothing, uh, so it actually does look kind of cool. And uh, I had a growing lamp, like for plants. You know, apparently you can get these special lamps and shine them on plants, and it's not as good as sun, but, like, it does replace it for a little while. Everybody with me? Anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? When I bought it at the hardware store a few years ago, the guy looked at me like I was up to something nefarious, and I have no idea what that was. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so putting this grow lamp, I decided, well, look, I've got a space right here. I could hang this grow lamp up. And I could plant things on the edge of the desk in our little home library study, not an office. And uh, I'm really excited about this idea. I started looking and said, well, what do I want to plant? And I began researching, and I thought, you know what? I should grow a little bonsai tree, and then I can learn karate. And I I, uh, started researching, and the thing I found out was that you can buy kits, like with the pot and the... Not the dirt. I guess you got to find your own dirt, but like little tools and and seeds. And I thought this is great because the kits were inexpensive. And I I started like kind of ramping up to talk Jess into letting me do this. And I I began looking at the star ratings, and I realized that all of them were low. And I thought that's strange. And I began reading, and the thing I figured out very quickly was, by the way, I have a little bonsai tree. Can you put it into your perspective? Just that it's fake. I can't tell. That's how ill-fated this journey is, Um, (laughs) but uh, I I started looking at the reviews, and as it turns out, growing tiny trees is incredibly difficult. Um, For starters, you might get 10 seeds, and there's like 30 steps to take to prepare the seeds to germinate, and at any point in time, you might just have to throw some of them away, and so out of your 10 seeds, if you're lucky, you're going to get one that germinates, right? And then from there, you can plant it. And if you're lucky, it'll grow. And to get from seed that has germinated to something that looks reasonably like this, only much more killed because I would be doing it, takes, now follow this, between five and ten years. Holy what? It's this big. Like, there is no reasonable thing that says that this should be the case. And so I, uh, I, I still kind of want one of these trees, but I don't want to wait five to ten years to grow one. See the problem? And so I had, actually I got this in college, and I'll show you. I found the kit. You can still buy it online. It is the bonsai potato, and I still have like the tools and the thing. And what you do is you put this little bonsai tree stand on your desk, and you put a potato on it, and you wait a couple of weeks, unless you're like me and the potatoes have been in the pantry for a while, And you put it there, and you get this little growing plant without all the waiting, right? 
It's amazing. And actually, there's a little book that came with it. I might still have it. I haven't looked for it yet. But the little book talks about spiritual depth and inner peace instantly and how wonderful that is. All right, so there's more than one farmer in the room. What's the problem with this approach? I mean, I know the spiritual problem, right? But the problem is how long do potatoes sit on your desk before they become something unpleasant? (laughs) Yeah, not very long. It depends on how long they've been in the pantry, which means, you know, a couple days. Um, But I found this fast version, and then for Christmas, I got my wife something even better. Because Lego, yeah, Titus got it for her. I'm sorry. Titus bought it. Um, (laughs) And so Titus and Jess sat down, and they built a Lego bonsai tree. And you know what? It went from a few days or weeks or whatever to get the potato to grow. They did that like, bam, in an afternoon, right? It was amazing. Inner peace and spiritual depth and everything else. And you don't have to water it, right? (laughs) And during the spring, you can pull off the leaves and put penguins on for cherry trees. It's kind of amazing, right? Um, Of course, the bigger problem here is that what gives you patience is not slapping something together in a moment. What gives you personal depth is investment over time. Things grow slowly because that is the way they're designed. And part of the point of growing the stupid little tree is to teach yourself to sort of slow down and be in harmony with the world around you and understand like sort of the the care and concern that goes into caring for this little plant. And by the way, it's not just dumping water on it. I, I had to read about it, like to see, well, wait a minute. Can I just throw it on a shelf and splash some water on it, maybe by the sink? And it's it's not. Like you have to actually work with it every day for 10 years to get a tree. That's crazy. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? So we're going to be in Acts still, and we're going to talk about growing something worth growing. We're going to talk about um, the hard steps and the daily concern that is involved in growing people from a place where they are seedlings or just rocky ground to something amazing. Right, And we're going to touch on some of the really, really lame ways our culture tries to convince us you can shortcut this process. You can have your inner peace without doing the work. You can know Jesus without being holy. You can blah, 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 and it's all nonsense. Right? Big plastic Lego nonsense. So um, we're in Act 16. Does everybody have an outline? There was a stack of them. I actually remember to print them early. If you need an outline, if you would like one, raise your hand. And my, like, handsome assistant will hand them out. So Titus is doing it, not Josh. Um, for those of you guys who are getting ready to fall asleep, uh, the main point of the message this morning, the, the big idea, right, behind our text, is that making disciples is a major task for all of us. This is not something that is a pick-and-choose Oh, I didn't get drafted onto that team. We're all supposed to do it, right? We're all supposed to help people around us grow spiritually and take on that task ourselves. And part of that is, like, specifically preparing them for relationship with God and preparing them to minister to others. These are central to what we're supposed to be. And it's easy to forget that. It's easy to look at the discipleship conversation as, like, I think Dallas Willard called it, 
an optional extra in the luxury sedan of our spiritual life, right? I don't need the leather interior. I will do without the discipleship. I don't need spiritual growth or a relationship with God or a prayer life. Let's skip the heated seats. By the way, don't skip the heated seats. Um, And so this is a central thing. It is for all of us. It is designed for all of us. It is what we're supposed to be doing. And it's part of tending to others and discipling them that changes us. So when you are staring at that dumb little pot with that tiny little sapling tree that's going to take a decade to grow, staring at it is part of what makes you different. Everybody with me? Okay. So we're going to move forward here. We're in Acts. There are five verses that we're going to cover, so it'll only be a two-hour sermon. Um, Acts chapter 16, verse 1. So what has happened previously? By the way, real quick, Paul and Barnabas have gone their separate ways, right? They're going to go and tend to the churches that they planted earlier, and they're going to go tell them about the Council of Jerusalem. And, like, tell them, hey, you don't have to follow the Jewish law. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do all of these things. You can just follow Jesus. And so they're getting ready to do all this stuff. And as they're getting ready, Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark with us. Now, John Mark was the guy who abandoned them, who walked away from the first mission trip. And Paul says, absolutely not. That guy's staying home. He is not ready to do this with us. And Barnabas says, no, you're wrong. And they start arguing about it, and they agree to divide up the territory. And John Mark goes with Barnabas to uh, the island that they started their previous ministry on, right, previous trip. And he disciples, he raises the tree. And much later, John Mark comes back as kind of a hero. And he and Paul, like, work together, and Paul speaks highly of him. And he wrote the Gospel of Mark, right? Like, he did big things. But in order for that to happen, somebody had to... Sit down and water that plant. Somebody had to sit down and trim off the bits and pieces that didn't belong and shape the little leaves. When you grow a bonsai tree, you get wire after a decade. You can make your own. Um, And you use the wire to shape the growth of the tree so it grows the way you want it to, right? And it's slow and it takes patience and it's hard. And you got to clip and cut and shape and everything else. So Barnabas and... John Mark have left in a different direction. Paul goes with Silas, and they start in Derby. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish was Jewish and a believer, and whose father was a Greek. Now, does the name Timothy ring a bell for anyone? Right, Timothy, two letters in the Gospels, right? Uh, first and second. Timothy? Uh, I know, it's tough. But also, the book of Ephesians is written to the church that Timothy is pastoring, right? And so Timothy is this young guy. He is a young guy at this point, and he is the child of a Jewish woman and a Greek father, which means that according to, like, the rabbis, he's Jewish, right? And the reason was that Jews were really thoroughly, heartily discouraged from marrying non-Jews, right? For a man to marry a woman and for her to be Jewish, they would recognize that wedding. They would begrudgingly so, and the child would be considered like in the lineage because he was married. They would not recognize the marriage between a Gentile and a Jew, female. 
And so the marriage is considered illegitimate by the Jews, but she has a child, so the child is Jewish, right? But she couldn't take the child to the synagogue and get him uh, circumcised or do any of the other stuff because he's not legitimately in a marriage. Like, he's a a bastard is the word. Um, And so, like, this child is Jewish by lineage, but not, but not by tradition. And so the father being Greek is a big deal. Now, we have no idea anything about the father, except that Paul, like, there's some inferences here, right? We know he was Greek. We know he wasn't Jewish. He might have been a God-fearer, meaning he might have been somebody who was following the Jewish customs, but was like, yeah, I ain't doing that circumcision thing, right? Or he hadn't finished the process of doing, like, the Jewish rites or whatever. Like, we don't know. Um, the writing implies that he's dead, just heads up. So, like, if he didn't get circumcised, he probably ain't gonna at this point. Um, the mother and her grandmother, his grandmother, actually, were both Christians. And they had raised him as a Jew. They had taught him the scriptures. And then as a Christian, they had begun to teach him what it means to be a Christian. He's probably in one of the first generations or second generations, or first, actually, because this is just a couple years later, after this church was founded, but he is a very young Christian man, and he is um, very early. So Timothy was already a believer. It's an important thing here, right? His mother and grandmother, some of the like, like uh, basic casts had been done. He had learned about the Jewish faith. He knew stuff. He was minimally prepared, and he was a good guy. How do we know? Well, verse 2. 205, we're almost there. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So he had lived out his faith enough in a church or in, in a couple of churches that were relatively close together, right? Like like 10 miles between them or whatever, these towns. He had lived out his faith well enough that in a circle of new converts, they spoke well of him. He had a reputation. Now, reputations in a small town are a thing, right? These are small towns. It is not difficult to get a bad reputation in a small town. Can we all agree on that? Right? Don't point. (laughs) Thanks for the amen. I appreciate it. A good reputation takes a little more work. And people knew who he was, and they spoke well of him. Um, What this tells us, what we can draw out of it is, that he is already bearing fruit in keeping with salvation, as Paul would put it, and he's growing spiritually. Is he fully grown? Nope. How do we know? Nope. Because if we read everything else Paul wrote about him, it's kind of clear he's kind of entry level still, right? He's still got his trainee badge and his paper hat. They used to do that in the ancient world for Christians. Uh, I made that up. Um, so, Timothy is already in process. Paul did not pick a guy out of a crowd and say, come on, you. He looked around and he said, that seed is sprouting. Right? There's something coming up. There's something worthwhile there. There's something of value present. He has begun to germinate. The, the plant is growing. People are noticing it in a way that is like important. It is a big deal. And so, Timothy, he picks Timothy out um, to fill a role. What do I mean by that? Well, previously, we saw him with an encourager, who was Barnabas, and a student, who was John Mark. 
He lost his encourager, and he did not go out alone. He took Silas with him. Did he have to? I don't think there was a rule that said he did, but he did. Why? Because we are designed, you, me, the guys who came before us, your kids, everyone. If we are following Jesus, we are designed to do it as a team sport. I know there is this great idea that we are all so individualistic and wonderful and separate, and I can worship God anywhere, but the reality is that like, you probably can worship God everywhere, but we are commanded, we are designed, doing it right means doing it in community. It means walking with the people around you who can say, hey, you're screwing up, right? That's hard. Especially hard now because we don't like to tell people about ourselves. No amen to that, really. How many of y'all have things that you think? I, well, all right, here's my example, actually. I'm not even going to ask. I'm going to give you my example. When I was a young uh, believer, uh, not even a young believer, I'd been a Christian for a number of years, and I was working in ministry. I was a youth pastor, and I had begun to develop a drinking problem, and I knew I did. And there was a part of me that was really scared about the fact that I was, like, way off the rails, and I was doing things that I didn't believe in. And that I was, I mean, I was just miserable. And I kept thinking, if I tell anyone else about this, it'll ruin my reputation as a believer. So I couldn't tell anyone. And so I did it alone. And we all know when we're doing things alone that we can't manage, it gets better. Nope. It just got worse. And it got worse and it got worse. And I kept, we were in a very, like, Notre Dame area. It's a very Catholic community. I kept thinking... Maybe I should go to the Catholic church and confess to the priest. Then I could talk to someone anonymously. Would it have helped? I don't know. But I suspect that what I needed more than anything else was for somebody to sit down and say, Eric, you're screwing up, but I'll walk with you to make this right. Because my little tree, the Eric bonsai tree, had begun to crack and grow in wrong directions. And I needed other people. I needed my Barnabas. I needed my Silas to come along Break out the scissors and clip. Or I think if you break a tree, this is a whole crazy thing. If you break a branch off a tree and it's hanging, you can put it back up and tie it on and it will graft in and grow back. And I needed that. And all believers need that. Um, We all need, and I know I talk about that whole thing in a huge way too much way, But I talk about it to illustrate this point because it's the best and hardest lesson I have learned is that as believers, we need other people. We need fellowship. We need challenge. We need encouragement. We need accountability. We need to have people who will look at us and say, you're kind of lying to yourself right now. Get your head back in the sunlight and out of the dark spot and go where you're supposed to go. Do what you're supposed to do. Right? It's a team sport. So he takes Silas with him, and then he looks for a disciple. Why? Because if I have things to teach other people and I'm not teaching them, then I'm burying my treasure in the backyard. Right? All of my talents, very few talents that I was given, if I am not passing them on, if I am not using them to make other believers better, to grow them spiritually, if I am not watering a plant in my study, I'm not doing the job. And I am robbing them and me. Because watering the plant changes me. Because watering the plant changes that person. And it changes the people they come in contact to. 
The whole thing is designed to work that way. Christianity is not a political party. It is not a million other things that we've tried to, you know, a get-rich-quick scheme or, or, you know, a plastic version of how to be happy in life, right? Like, and there are people who will tell you that. Like, if you just do these things, God will make you rich and you'll be happy, right? You don't have to read long books or pray or study. Here is a paragraph and a line. That's enough for the day, right? Because I need that much water to stay alive and nothing more. But in reality, the more water you put on a plant, generally it's better, I assume, up to the appropriate amount. Um, Again, I'm not growing anything. Um, But this is how we're made. So he draws Timothy in, who is already bearing fruit, and he says, I'm going to tend to this. I'm going to grow it. Um, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Anybody recognize the problem here? Well, number one, yeah, ouch. Yeah, I, I, that is the minimum phrase to respond to that with, ouch. But there's a couple of others. What did we just spend a whole chapter arguing about? Circumcising Gentiles in order for them to be Christians. And so there's a whole argument amongst theologians and scholars and everything else. So they look at this and they say, Paul violated his own teaching. Paul went against what he believed in order to make it easy. Now, it does look, does look like a problem, right? I mean, at least of all for Timothy. Um, not the very least for Timothy, sorry. That was, here's the deal. The circumcision here is difficult. And I want to explain it real quick. I want to work on this. There are two big ideas that surround it. The first is that Paul is making Timothy acceptable in Jewish circles. He is not making him acceptable to God. Right? Circumcision, Timothy, is not in any way making him acceptable to God. It has not changed who he is in relation to God any more than I would be a different person if I wore a hat. Right? Or took a hat off, I guess, in this case. Um, <laughs> sorry. I, Mark, you need to sit in the back. Like I <laughs> It didn't change him. He did it. Um, and I actually did not quote the verse in my slides. I wanted to sort of talk it through. Paul says at one point, to the Jews I become a Jew. To the Gentiles I become a Gentile. To the Romans I become a Roman. To whoever I'm talking to, I speak their language and I do what I need to do in order to engage with them so that Christ can be glorified and so people can be exposed to the gospel in a way they will hear and so they can be saved. Um, We see this actually, one of my favorite little bits is where he goes to Athens and he stands with the philosophers and he basically like tells the gospel in philosophy. And it's kind of cool actually. Did he rely on the Jewish text? That's where it came from. No. You know why? Because nobody cared. But they did care about their philosophy. They did care about their religions. And so he put it in that context to preach the gospel. When he went to the Jews to preach to them, he spoke like a Jew. When he talked to the Gentiles, he used their language. He adjusted accordingly. And this circumcision was a preparation for him, Timothy, 
to go into these circles and preach the gospel. Well, wait a minute. Are they going to check? Probably not. It's always something I've never understood. I've never researched it either. Um, But he's known throughout the region. They know who his dad is. They know who he is. And so the Jews would look at him and say, oh, you're that bastard. You're that uncircumcised man. And are they going to listen? Nope. Because he's not one of them. And so in order to make him acceptable, he changed him. Um, I was reading about uh, uh, military, uh, as it, you know, as women in the military serve in different settings. Um, in some parts of the world, they have to wear head coverings because otherwise nobody's talking to them, right? Um, there are places where I might go and people don't speak English. If I speak English to them, they're not going to understand a word I have to say. I have to learn to speak other languages. I have to learn to dress in harmony with the place I am. I have to learn to fit in in order to preach the gospel. I have to be respectful of their values and what they think and everything else so that I can bring Christ to them. And I think that is what is happening. Paul is equipping Timothy with a circumcision. What a weird thing to say, right? But he has made it possible for him to walk into certain settings and talk and be taken seriously. And to Paul, that matters more than anything else. That's it. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. He's single-minded. And he equips him in this way. It was a a moment of pruning the branches on his little tree in order to... I did not... That came out exactly wrong. I am so sorry. Dang it. I'm in trouble. Somebody's going to be mad at me. I'm so sorry. So here's the other possibility. The other possibility is that because he has a Jewish background, he has made him in harmony with his Jewish background. Because we never see the disciples coming up to the Jews and saying, stop being Jewish in order to be saved. They never say it. They never say, stop observing Passover, stop doing this, stop doing that. They never do. They never, like, don't read the Torah, don't, you know, know Hebrew, don't whatever. Never, ever, ever. The Jews related to Christ in harmony with who they were, right? They had to make some adjustments, certainly. Because suddenly they had to deal with uncircumcised folks. Suddenly they had to eat with pagans. All of a sudden they could eat pork, which was the biggest blessing, not the biggest blessing, but one of the biggest blessings of all. Um, So it's possible that this was the case. I think this is a little more tenuous because then you could back up and say, well, this guy's of Jewish heritage. He should probably follow the Jewish law. But at the end of the day, if you're following the law to be acceptable to God, you are on a dead end road. So I would argue the bigger idea here, the big point is... He prepared him to go where he would not be accepted otherwise. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. Now, again, on the other side of don't get circumcised, circumcised Timothy And now here it is, they go around and say, hey, guys, you don't have to be circumcised after all. And Timothy's probably grumbling the whole time, right? But in reality, Timothy knew, I would argue, this is what was needed in order to preach the gospel. He was preparing him to walk into a setting. Um, It has always blown my mind when people go to job interviews without a suit on. You know what I mean? You ever see somebody walk into a job interview for like a real job in jeans? I mean, maybe at a farm. I guess it's a little different, right? You show up in a suit at a farm for an interview that's probably not the best of 
advertisements. But like, like to me, and in fact, actually, when I came here, uh, he's not in the room right now, but the first time I came to worship here, I put on a suit, like a full suit. I think it might have been a three-piece suit and a tie and everything else. And I came up the bits of stairs, and Larry looked at me. He's like, yeah, go change. Don't wear that. <laughs> it was like, well, wait a minute. It's, this is an interview. And he's like, yeah, but this isn't a corporation. This is Big Sandy. If you're going to dress a certain way, don't dress like that. Go put on regular clothes. Why? This isn't really a suit and tie kind of place, is it? In the best way possible. That is not an insult. Right? It's just we're, we're a small community. We're rural. We're farmers. We're ranchers. You all are. I'm not. Um, I wish I was a farmer or a rancher, but I'm not. Uh, like we are what we are, and you preach the gospel here. You be the gospel. You be Christ here by blending in with the culture, by dressing the right way, by, by speaking the right way, by doing the things that are a part of this community. And actually, that bit me when I first got here because I'd been used to teaching, to dr- teaching drug addicts and prostitutes and sex offenders. And so the way I talked and some of the examples I used and some of my choices of phrasing were a little more colorful than what would generally be the case here. And over the years, I had to learn to trim those branches down. You know why? Because it wasn't okay for people to say, for me to speak in a way that made people shut down. Like, I, I can't be that guy, right? Neither can you. So what are the big concepts? So we've walked through this. We have got Timothy. He has been circumcised. He's been picked up as a disciple. He is prepared to go out and do this thing. And so the big concepts, first of all, and I cannot say this enough, the law, the law, the law, being good will never, ever make you acceptable to God. Cutting out your bad habits will not make you reconciled. You are not okay with Jesus just because you are circumcised or not circumcised, because you eat certain foods or don't, because you no longer use certain words and you try really hard and you got your own swear jar and everything else. Like, I show up every Sunday, so I'm okay with God. This is not it. The law will not, no behavior, no anything will make you acceptable to Jesus. And if you try to earn your way to God that way, you will fail. Because you'll have to do it perfectly. And I'm guessing most of us don't even know all of it. And ignorance is no reason. And you'll have had to have been perfect about it when you were born up until now. And one bad day, it's over. The law is not the way to do it. We become acceptable to Christ through Christ dying for us. And through becoming his, walking in him, accepting him as our boss, as our Lord, and following him in life, and growing to become like him. So the circumcision was not an obedience to the law. It was not forbidden altogether. Rather, it was made clear that it was not the route to righteousness. Um, But Timothy had to become acceptable to those who he was evangelizing. Further than that, if you read the letters, we start finding that Timothy had to grow. Isn't that crazy? Growing is hard. Isn't it? It is just, it's miserable, and it's slow. I will tell you the scariest thing that has happened to me today. My little girl walked past me wearing a dress I assume she got from her cousin. And I looked at her and I thought, oh my gosh, Abby's a young lady. I don't know how to stop that. (laughs) But I suspect that it's going to keep going. And it happened, I don't know when it happened. It must have happened last night because I didn't notice it yesterday. 
growth, growth happens constantly. You, whether you realize it or not, are growing. You might be growing spiritually and closer to God. You might be going through hardship, and God is growing you through that difficulty. But what makes you useful is the growth. Now, the bad thing about that, by the way, I, have, I, I crushed one of my feet when I was in college, and I have growths. These are bad growths. You know what I'm saying? I have bone spurs and knobs and all kinds of other weird gross things that are growing. And, like, pruning them is going to be awful if, when the time comes. But, like, those growths happened when I wasn't looking. In my own life, sin creeps in. Wasted time shows up like bad habits and foolishness and wickedness and like absent-minded, like ignoring the things of God. Like that stuff happens slow. And I have to tend it every day or else it gets out of control. So how do we apply all of this? Because it feels like I'm all over the place. What I really wanted to focus on and what I'm going to come back to here is this idea that this is all about growing. This is all about developing depth and spiritual maturity. Um, First off, this text is hard if we don't read it carefully and pray about it and think about it and reflect on it and search for answers. This is the sort of text you get to when you read and you're like, yeah, Paul made a mistake. Because I've read people who say that. Like there's no depth or, or careful consideration or anything happening. They're just like, yeah, Paul screwed up. Let's go. But real depth involves digging. It involves working, it involves thinking, it involves time and investment, pruning and shaping. Like, like this is the sort of text that demonstrates why we have to learn to read the word and digest it and chew on it. Um, I had yesterday morning, I had a, a, a pastry tart with my coffee that I got over at the granary, granary. And it was filled with strawberry and it was all flaky with a little bit of frosting on top, right? And I went home, and I sat down with my little pastry, and I ate it very slowly. You know why? Because it was delicious. And then a big glob of strawberry jelly fell in my goatee. And I spent about 20 minutes trying to figure out how to consume that jelly without just washing it out. It's gross, I know. I take jelly very seriously... Exactly. There was so much jelly in that delicious. I don't know. I'm sorry. So what are we doing that with that? Like, why am I mentioning this? Because the word should be chewed on, right? The word should be like consumed like a delicious pastry, not gulped down like your Pop-Tart in the morning. The word should be savored and considered. We should spend time like breathing it in and, and making it a part of who we are. That is how we water the plant that eventually grows into something great. Um, As disciple makers, which is what we are called to be. So this is my second application here. Um, This means that we help others grow spiritually and we equip them. It means we have conversations about weird, difficult things, right? I want to do that. But it's how you grow. I don't want to stare at a bonsai tree forever waiting for it to grow into an actual tree. Can't I just get a potato? You can, but the potato is going to rot pretty quick because it's not built for real things, right? It's built to be buried or made into fries. 
but ultimately it's never going to be as awesome as the tree I wanted. I could buy the Lego version and have a fake version of my faith that involves nobody investing in me and making me grow. It involves no me investing in somebody else and challenging them or becoming a part of their lives. But in reality, it will never, ever become more than what it is, and it is not alive. And we have to learn to meet people where they're at. Like, that is hard, because sometimes meeting people where they're at means being really uncomfortable, right? I mean, I'm here to tell you, sometimes we have to be uncomfortable to love other folks. Sometimes we have to be humble to love other folks. Sometimes we have to go places we don't want to go. Sometimes in making disciples, we have to hear ugly, like, things, and it is a part of the process. There's a part of how we trim and grow. In the long run, this is what we are made for. I, uh, I am always brokenhearted when I visit farms that have the shop full of cars. You know the one I'm talking about? They're a collection of, uh, actually, I was at the Williams as they were storing a GTO for someone. And I have always wanted to own a GTO. So if anybody has one and doesn't have a Christmas present for me yet, that's the one. I sat in that GTO and I dusted off everything and I sat there and I made motor noises like I was a little kid. And it just felt wrong that this beast, huge engine, power and growling and everything else was not out on the road just screaming along. That is what we do with our faith when we leave it, when we don't invest in others, when we don't allow other people to be a part of us. Like we are made for better. We are made to go places that nobody think, thinks will go. We're made to talk to people that folks look and say, wait a minute, aren't you a Christian? Why are you talking to that guy? Well, because they need Jesus too. My challenge for you guys today is to look at yourself and ask, like, do I have a Timothy? Or am I a Timothy to anyone? Is anybody watering me? Is anybody coming along and checking my leaves to make sure there aren't ones that need to get plucked off? Is there anybody running wire along my life to help me grow in a direction that makes sense? Is there anybody keeping me accountable for how I use my time or my resources or whatever? Like, am I doing that for anyone? Am I sitting down with anybody and loving them enough to say, dude, I I love you, I care about you, and that's why I have to say these things. Like, you, you need to do better. It's the best feeling you can have. The best thing you can do as a believer is to live in that place because you are living as you are made to be. I'm going to close in prayer and I will let you all go. I heard a few finalies. Um, (laughs) My challenge again, go out, open the throttle up and be who God made you to be. Find your trees and grow them. Don't settle for potatoes. Don't settle for lumps of plastic that look like trees. Find them and grow them. Recognize that you need growth and find folks who will invest in you. Ask if you need it. Come talk to me. We're going to do a basic uh, Christianity catechism class. I've had a couple people express interest. If you say, well, I don't even know anything, come talk to me and I'll teach you stuff. Or talk to Jeremy, who's doing it with the teenagers, and he will teach you stuff. It is a way to grow. It is a way to develop depth and understanding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us. I pray that... um, I pray that you would help us to, to, you know, either be Paul or be Timothy to the folks we encounter. I pray that we would look 10 years down the line 
once all the growing is there, we would look at the lives of those that we've invested in and say, that whole 10 years, man, it took forever. It was hard. It was work every day, but it was worth every moment of the process. Lord God, help us to help us to grow deep roots in our faith, deep roots that come from consuming you and being filled with you, but also deep roots that come from that come from investing in the folks around us. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.